1: On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or
0: restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Wholehearted Eating. So our guest today is Brenna O'Malley, a registered dietitian and the founder of The Wellful based in San Francisco. So Brenna joins me, Dana, and Christina today to talk about how to know if your health journey is actually healthy and red flags to look for on your health journey. We also talk about How do we navigate the balance between adding in health promoting behaviors in a neutral way versus when those behaviors can come from outside pressures and then can become obsessive? We're also talking about how if you feel like you gain weight whenever you're not obsessively monitoring and counting everything that you eat and sticking to a pretty rigid exercise plan, it's likely a sign that those rules are not healthy for you and that you're trying to keep your body in an extreme environment that it can't maintain all right let's dive right in Brenna, thank you so much for coming on today we're really excited to chat about all of the nuances of your journey and gentle nutrition and everything like that so We wanted to get started with talking about your journey. So, on your website, you talk about how you kind of stumbled into this field by starting out with food intolerances and stuff in high school. So, you went to a dietitian and then you somehow ended up as an intuitive eating coach, right? So, tell us a little bit about your journey and like what inspired you to make that transition.
2: Yeah. So, I, um, my first experience with a dietitian was in high school. I had some like, I think, really common. Pipeline to you know learning about nutrition or finding dietetics is like having some version of your own experience. So basically, I um, saw a dietitian in high school for some like food intolerances. weren't sure what it was. Celiac runs in my family, so we kind of quickly went there. I think in hindsight, I didn't have the official tests. I didn't have an endoscopy, um, and so I was. It was sort of like a process of elimination, and um, then ended up adopting a gluten-free diet for many years and which is a bit of a, a piece of that too, but had this really positive experience with my dietitian in high school, really enjoyed like her as a person, um, our relationship together, being able to talk about this. And it was really the first time that I ever had a connection, like a personal connection with like what I ate and how I felt. Cause I was having these like physical symptoms. And then I also took some of that information and really manipulated it. And I think it became a big part of like my own disordered eating past and history. and you know, working through my own body image pieces. So kind of, I think the way that I took that information as a 15 year old was, um, you know, through became much more of like a disordered lens, even though it was delivered to me in a really like neutral way relatively. Um, But I didn't think about becoming a dietitian until later down the road, I went to college and thought I wanted to work in marketing and worked for some food startup companies after my freshman year of of college and really loved like the startup world. I loved that people were creating these products, that I was going to these food shows and seeing all these different really interesting things that were hitting the shelves. And um, it was a really passionate career, and people were so excited about these things that they were bringing to industry but i also learned that i was 19 and working for these startups and i was like helping come up with like the language that was going to be on the bottle right or i was hearing that these people were starting these food companies but didn't otherwise have any nutrition background and i was like whoa this is fascinating that people can just start a food company and then we as the consumer you know get this food product but like you would assume because it's on a shelf because it has this like nice label because it says these different health claims that there's like a whole lot of like research and like nutrition backing to it. And it just really kind of, it blew up my whole lens on, on the way the food, um, food industry works. And so it was both really creative and interesting to me, but I also was like, Whoa, this is like, I had a lot of assumptions that like every food product, like was just really honest. Right. And like true. And like came from this like perspective of, um, you know, that it was like nutritionally backed. And so then I started to sort of combine initially the reason I enrolled in um, a dietetics program. I transferred from a school in upstate New York to, I was going to Binghamton University and I transferred to NYU for their nutrition program. And uh, the reason I transferred was because I wanted to become a dietitian who made a food product. So I still wasn't even in the lens of like, working one-on-one with clients Um, but then as I was training like of course you go through you know what looks good on your dietetic internship applications and so I was like very conscious of that so I had all these different jobs and experiences and some of them were working um, I volunteered at like New York Presbyterian and like clinical and then I worked for an eating disorder dietitian, and I um, really kind of again was like okay I really love these one-on-one relationships with people I love like learning more about like the science of nutrition and I still am really interested in this marketing piece so I would say that the combination of those experiences I was like this seems like an area where every person has to navigate these like different claims and nutrition information that they get and being able to work with someone one-on-one so now I kind of have had some other experiences but ultimately have come to a place ideally where I can like work in both of those where I can like kind of consult on like the way that we're using the language around food and the way that we talk about food. And I think that's super important and influential in our personal relationships with food and then being able to work one-on-one with clients as well and say like, okay, how do we, how are you taking in this information? What is your relationship with food like? Um, And so kind of a long-winded way of saying like found intuitive eating in college, um, and trained under some other dietitians and was able to like have that be a really big part of my internship experience. Like I was very lucky and I got to do a concentration in intuitive eating that I like created for, um, my internship. So I feel lucky to have had those like spaces, but yes, it was a little bit of, um, sort of falling together, or building on itself too. You
1: yeah, What an interesting, story about how wanting to, at one point, wanting to make your own food products and stuff. And we actually, I don't know if Dane, we both know independently people who have made food products and stuff like that. And it's a really cool experience and kind of cool to see your product on a shelf, which is kind kind of fun too, but you're so right about the language that's used and how that influences the consumer and what you think you're getting and we do put so much stock into labeling in that we believe that what is being put out there is being is accurate and everything like that too which is really fascinating so that's cool that you're now doing like that part where you're kind of consulting with them and saying hey let's change that <laughs> that language a little bit let's make the grocery store a little bit less toxic and just make it more about the food itself, which is really fun. Um, And being able to have those one-on-one experiences with clients is also like, I don't know. We both obviously really love that too. So we get it. Um, One of the things that I was interested in, like, as you were sharing your story is so it sounds like when you were working with the food intolerances, it became like your own version of how you get into health. Right. So that probably influences a lot of your social media, Um, you know, campaigning and discussions and stuff that you're putting out there about how to know if your health journey is actually healthy or not. And so what are some of the signs that you felt like for yourself and that you see in other people that maybe their health journey is a little bit more, a little bit more combative (laughs) than maybe we originally thought it would be? Totally.
2: Yeah. I think that's something I do try to do with social media is I think I, I try to not center my own experience all that much, but I I do like allude to, or like share some pieces of it just because I don't always know how helpful it is, but I think there are some pieces that are kind of, I think it's helpful to like have a relating point too. So I kind of go back and forth with that, but I would say some red flags, right. Are, I think it's really easy if you're given, especially if you have a physical experience with like certain foods, making you feel sick, right. Whether it's like, you know, an intolerance or an allergy or having some level of like needing to have some level of awareness around food, I think it's really easy for that to, you know, kind of like explode a bit or feel like it heightens your, your feelings around all foods, or just like feel like there are some true foods that I need to like avoid or be conscious of. And like, I think it makes it really easy to like avoid or be conscious of a lot of other foods, not just from that sort of neutral or like keeping yourself safe perspective, but because the way that we talk about food often, you know, also eliminates food like through diet culture through these different messages that we get. So I think some sort of like red flags or as if is if someone is um, you know feeling like their their value or like how their day feels is dictated by the foods that they've eaten or how they feel in their body or um, if it feels like you hear about how someone is eating and you want to like replicate or duplicate that way of eating for yourself, because that also all of those pieces kind of take the, um, like the trust away from like, that you can make choices about your body in your own body and like figure out what works for you. And that might not likely won't be the same as what feels good to, to someone else. So I feel like those kinds of experiences that sort of end up centering someone else's experience or expertise um, kind of just take away like the trust that you would or could like build within within yourself too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that um, I really agree, and I like how you mentioned the awareness piece, because I think that plays a big role. Dan and I talk about that a lot um, on the podcast and like just in general convers- conversations about how sometimes when you go into this, and Dan and I both have diagnosed celiac disease. So like <laughs> we live that like gluten-restricted life already, like, already. And so navigating that, I think one of the things that like can come up when you're first starting that journey, I didn't start off, like you said, being diagnosed like outright, I ended up kind of playing around with food a shit ton, Um, probably more than I probably ever should have, like with playing around with eliminating things, but you know, alas, here we are. But one of the things that's kind of interesting about it too is the awareness that comes up. And I think almost too, like as much as it is awesome to have a lot of body awareness and knowing how your body reacts to food, I feel like sometimes what can happen that can be like a red flag and kind of toxic is if we overanalyze how much we're feeling certain things in our body and like feeling like every single thing we eat is like causing some kind of reaction in the body. It's like, well, your body's supposed to interact with food, (laughs) Like, sometimes you're bloated after you have beans. And that doesn't mean we have to take beans out of the equation. It just means like, oh, yeah, everybody gets a little bloated after they have certain types of stuff. And so that's one of the things that I like that you brought about, like, that you brought up that that awareness piece, I think, can play, like, can feed into all of the other red flags that you kind of mentioned about how it makes you then overanalyze certain things, look at other people's stuff like, oh, you're not bloated. Oh my God, how are you doing that? Okay. You're doing this. That must mean what I'm doing. And it's like their perception of bloat might be different. You might have like a really heightened awareness <laughs> awareness. And so when you feel food in your stomach, you're like, well, I'm bloated. And it's like, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe you're not, you just are feeling food in your body. And I, I really like how you discussed like that awareness piece. Cause I think that's something that's often um, overlooked in conversation when we're talking about food intolerances. And when you're going down that route, that our perception and our awareness of food becomes so heightened that we then think that everything is impacting us in such a big way. Do you feel like that's something that you see a lot with clients too, and on their journey? Totally. Yeah. I I
2: think that's such a good point because it's, it's almost like to a degree that's helpful, right? It's like, to a degree it's helpful to be aware of those different pieces, but then kind of past that degree, it's not, it can be like kind of this tipping point of like not being so helpful or maybe being like more overwhelming or more like information overload versus like being supportive, you know, information for you. I think that's such a good point, totally. I think sometimes it's like, and, or right, or like you haven't been eating to like fullness, And then all of a sudden you're like feeling a certain level of fullness. Maybe you've been like really restricting or like only restricting and binging, right. Kind of like in these extremes. And it's like interesting too. It's like a totally new sensation to start feeling like, maybe a comfortable level of fullness or more full than you typically let yourself feel, which is totally okay feeling. Right. Or maybe like something that might even be like the goal, but if it's unfamiliar to you or if every time you've gotten close to getting full, then it's been like this thing that like really brings up a lot of fear or feels really scary or overwhelming. Then like, you know, it's like, how do we interpret this information and take it to be helpful and know that it might be new too. And, it being new can be uncomfortable, but being uncomfortable, like in that case, it's okay. Right. Like, or just like might take some, some like getting used to or letting yourself be new at something or explore it. And I think that's a really, a really good point. And I also think with, um, with like, just on like the food allergies or intolerances point, I think, especially with like gluten and dairy, I find that I think there are, you know, some other foods too, but I find that there's a lot of layers of, Um, because they're so co-opted by diet culture as things like that people avoid without those reasons, without maybe like a medical reason or an intolerance reason that for the people who do need to, you know, like use those, use those guidelines, like maybe avoid those foods or like know that those foods have like some reaction in their body that it's harder to do that and harder to advocate for that outside of a diet lens, because the reaction from like, the public um, or like friends or interactions with weight staff or interactions with people who maybe you're, you're asking to support, you know, your, your dietary needs with um, can interpret it that way or assume that it's from a dieting lens. Like I remember I had like an early memory of like being at this diner in my hometown in high school and asking for like no bread on something. Cause I think I was like early days, early early days, gluten-free, not like super, super early days, but I just remember it was like, no one really knew what it was, at least where I was. And um, they were like, oh, are you on a diet? And I just think it's like, of course that was not helpful to me, but, but I just think, um, you know, or it feels like, oh, this isn't something that you really need to be gluten for. You're just trying to like, quote unquote, be healthier. You don't really need to avoid dairy. You're just trying to like, quote unquote, be healthy versus if it was something like, that's more associated with like anaphylaxis, for example, like peanuts, right? People treat that much differently. Um, generally than like some of these other, you know, other food things, because I think of at least in part because of this like lens that we have on what those food choices mean or where they come from. So I just think it's really an interesting, I mean I would be interested if either of you have thoughts on that too. If we are both celiac as well, but um yeah, I think it's just like there are so many layers in in how we like can take care of and listen to ourselves and then how we can implement that into our culture that sees food often much differently than like we're helping clients like work towards seeing and, and their relationship with food.
0: Yeah, and it's really tough too, because if you, I mean, for example, the first time that you ever went into that dietitian's office, right? Or the first time that anyone ever comes to see some kind of nutrition or medical professional because it feels like something's off, they're going in because something feels off, but they don't know what's wrong. So we're looking for a solution, right? So then you go to a professional who's been trained in this, so you kind of blindly trust them if you've never had this experience before. And they're like, oh, you should cut out you know, this, this, and this, or you should do this. So now then we're learning to outsource what we should be doing to feel good in our own bodies, which then kind of like, cuts away at our own body trust and our own intuition, right? And the more that you go down the, like, dieting or even functional medicine or, like, disordered eating path, the more you become, like, really disconnected to the point where you arrive at, like, oh, my God, I have, like, the smallest amount of bloating ever, but it's not what I'm used to. So there must be something wrong. Like, and then we always go to, oh, I need to eliminate this to feel better. Because whether we're looking at it from a traditional medicine perspective, a diet culture perspective, a functional medicine perspective, the answer is almost always, oh, just take it out and you'll feel better, you know? So then... From our perspective, from a more neutral perspective, right, when we're all trying to help clients and especially talk about this on social media because it's impossible to do nuance on social media, you know, when we're trying to navigate the balance between adding in like a new routine or a health-promoting behavior dissociated from weight changes or anything – how do you help people find the balance between trying to do that in a neutral way when it's so easy for people who come from this all or nothing mentality for that to become obsessive? Like what do you find
2: is the tipping point there and how do you help people with that? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Like what's the the balance sort of between between like that awareness or or being interested in those things versus it being like more of an obligation or coming from like these pressures versus something that's like feeling good and feelings actually supportive to you. Yeah. I think, um, I I think normally it's a lot of like, you know, checking in on like where these came from, why these are important to them and are they true? Like, how are they helping? How are they feeling supportive or how are they not feeling so supportive? And I, I think I like a lot of like, um, the holding space for both of these things at once idea, right? Like, okay, one, where did this where did this rule come from? Like, what are the different rules around food or what are the different things that you think, what does health mean to you? And then also what are some of like the behaviors that you might be engaging in and how do they support this idea of health? And then are they true? And I think sometimes that's a mix of like, you know, where did this come from? Where did you learn this from? Also like maybe some education around that sometimes. And then I think it's a lot of to like, okay, well, let's say this like influencer eats in a certain way, or I learned this from like this past program that I was on or tracking food is really good because then I know, right? Like I'm putting this in quotes um, because then I know like what I'm eating and I can like be in control of this. And I think sometimes that's like a common one and it'll be, okay, how much of this is like giving you actual control around food or is it the illusion of control? And then sometimes it's like a zoom out critical lens of like, you know, our bodies before, like we had my fitness pal were somehow maintaining themselves, right. Even without us having this really hyper awareness of, um, each, each food that we were putting into our body and these like estimates of all of these different calories or nutrient breakdowns. And so kind of like, is this actually necessary or that helpful, or is it something that's just been really normalized that, is now a part of your like every day and it feels really rigid and not flexible so i think some of those like rigidity inflexibility um you know you know not being able to maybe like participate in their life in the ways that they would like to whether that's spontaneous plans or um you know having someone else cook a meal for them and like being okay having that food i think some of those pieces are are helpful red flags um and I think sometimes it's just sneaky. It's like, you know, you can be you can be like doing something that maybe you've done for a really long time um, and maybe it came initially from like a helpful place. Like to give an example of myself, like I remember I, that dietitian who I saw in high school was like helpful in some ways, right, because it gave me this awareness around my relationship with food and my body, but it also encouraged tracking of my meals. And I continued to do that for like many years in a way that was not healthy to me or helpful. Um, And it's like, that came out of this like potentially helpful place of trying to identify what foods maybe were like causing some of my symptoms, but then both a combination of like not really being told that this wasn't something I needed to do at all, Um, being encouraged by like diet culture, that that was something that was healthy. And then I think part of my own anxiety that had developed around like food and wanting to know what I was eating and wanting to like follow these, my fitness pal recommendations that tell me that I'll weigh a certain amount. If I eat this way for four weeks or whatever it is, which is so annoying and awful and wild, um, feature of the app. Um, so it's like that actually wasn't healthy, but through some lens, I'm sure that that did look healthy because it's so like normalized, but I think holding the space. I think that's like a real benefit of like working with someone one-on-one is that, um, you have the space to kind of like, kind of hold up light to some of those behaviors and say like, are these actually feeling that supportive to you? Are these actually feeling that helpful? And like, let's sort of zoom out and look at how these are actually supporting you in your life or how they're actually making you feel and, and kind of checking that out.
1: I think that's such a great point of thinking about it from, The like looking at from those various different lenses and asking those questions. That's something that Dana and I talk about a lot about values versus rules and how our values can heavily. Sorry, my dog just sneezed really loudly. (laughs) Um, And how our values versus rules can really heavily influence. Um, the way that we then interact with food moving forward and how we kind of do all, like how we move that through. And one of the things that can be really tricky when you're going down that food intolerances, or like there's some kind of physical symptom that's going on too, is that when you initially do that first kind of removal of things or that deep dive investigation and bringing that awareness and the tracking of it, which like you said, can be so heavily supportive and being able to build that connection between, oh, here's how I feel. Here's what my body's maybe trying to tell me. And then here's how, what foods might be causing some of that. If you're trying to navigate that, one of the problems is that makes it really difficult for why you probably ended up tracking for like way longer than you ever needed to, or why I never allowed myself to have a gluten-free cupcake <laughs> was because Probably for the longest time was because you felt so good when you finally figured out like, oh, here's the connection. Oh, ding, ding, ding. I have celiac disease or ding, ding, ding. Oh, I have um, lac- like severe lactose intolerance and it's causing all these IBS, IBS symptoms for me. And now I finally know, but that doesn't mean like once you have that, I think one of the hard parts for that tipping point where it becomes obsess- obsessive is where you can't then like, like, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of, like taking a step back from that and saying, okay, I have information now. I don't need to track every meal that I'm eating. I don't have to worry about this. I know what it is. I know that I have an issue with, with gluten, or I know I have an issue with dairy. Um, so I'm just going to listen to my body provide it with satisfying things and know that I'm going to be taking care of it. And I'm going to, and I'm going to feel well, and I don't have to meticulously monitor everything and overanalyze every single meal. I can just be like, Oh, okay, cool. Like this is where we're at. This is the information that I gathered. And I think that's like one of the hardest parts. Um, when that, like that tipping point happens, when it becomes obsessive, it's like, well, I'm chasing after this feeling, that I had in that first time when I removed it. And then you layer in diet culture on top of it of like lose weight, look good, a- AKA healthy. And the next thing, and you're like, well, I must have more inflammation. Like there must be more food intolerances. Like there has to be these other things that are going on. And so one of the things that's kind of interesting is that we think a lot about when we're doing that kind of like deep dive work with our clients on navigating, um, you know, what is healthy to me? How do I implement that? What does that look like? How do I do this? Sometimes when we take something away, like diet culture or calorie counting or tracking, it's what do we then add back in to help the person get that confidence so they know how to feed themselves. And I think that's one of the the like the major nuances that happens with this, this journey that can often be left unlocked. And a lot of times clients will be like, I still don't know what to do. Like, I don't know what it means to eat satisfying food each day. And I don't know what it means to like, how much, like, what does my body need and what does it require? So how do you implement that, that nuance in that zone with your clients and ultimately implement gentle nutrition with them and understanding how they're, what their body needs on a nutritional level. And then also honoring that education that they got about maybe what foods might not feel all too too sexy to them, like might not feel too good, or like in the words of Dana, give them disaster pants. Like that's one of Dana's like favorite lines. But like, well, how do you then navigate that with them, and how do you help them kind of play in that gray? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: I like that play in the gray. Yeah, I I think that there is so much so much nuance around it, and I think. I think thinking of things as like an experiment is often helpful like an often a lens that I'll use for for going about that right it's kind of like okay maybe we've maybe you've gotten to a point already where you've experimented and have identified some foods that do or don't feel so great to you so how can we like use that framework along you know or that like starting place along with um what foods do you like? What foods like, do you have access to? What foods are you typically cooking? Where are you getting your meals from? Are you like, you know, kind of getting the, the idea there? Um, and then being able to say like, okay, if we're experimenting similar to how you might have experimented with like what foods maybe you are or are not like intolerant, um, you know, have an, have an allergy to whatever it is um kind of that level of experimenting but more so on the side of like not so much this food will make you sick but like how do certain foods feel in your body right like what you know what foods what combinations of foods are satisfying to you or are keeping you full throughout the day or are like some nice like go-to snacks and I think experimenting almost in that way of being like okay you're gonna try and have like this breakfast today and like I think oftentimes it'll be something that they've had in the past or something that they like would like to try or we can brainstorm that together and then being like, okay, if you were to have this, let's like just check in, try it. Like this doesn't have to be perfect. Um, You might notice that like maybe an hour after you're like hungry and you have a snack then and maybe in the future you'd say, okay, tomorrow I'm gonna add something to this breakfast. Cause I think, you know, it didn't actually keep me full as full as I was hoping that it would. So let's like add something in there or, you know last time I had this, brought this lunch, it was really good, but I was like super overly full. And I felt like I wasn't actually you know, it's like almost like past that comfortable energy or comfortable comfort point and our comfortable fullness point. Sorry. And um, so maybe like tomorrow you'll adjust it or you'll like have some of it for lunch and like save a little bit later for like your afternoon snack or something like that. And I think experimenting in that way, as well as like different combinations of foods and different types of foods can be a helpful way to think of it as right? Like this isn't all of a sudden we're not shifting to like then have this really prescriptive way of eating, but more so you're kind of doing some similar experimenting and finding what, what foods do you feel good to you through that way?
1: I really like how you're talking about using the experimentation that you had in the very beginning of your journey is like another piece of, we can continue with that same type of experimentation, but we can do it in a much more intuitive, tuned in, listening to, and not demonizing certain types of food under that same type of narrative, which Dan and I often refer to as a neutral nutrition lens, like, okay, here are like, here are the, here's the frameworks for what like everybody literally needs in order to feel satisfied and feel good and whatever. That doesn't mean that we're not going to enjoy convenient foods and things like that as part of that, that can fit into part of that whole puzzle. Um, I really like how, when you're talking about implementing like what you're really describing is that, is that gentle nutrition piece of how do you then build the blocks back up after we've had this whole experience for so long of feeling so detached and looking for outside things for, for how do we then satisfy ourselves and understand what that looks like? Um, And then how do we then build that back up to make it more of that, um, satisfying, like, oh, I feel like I've been using a lot lately, like feeling like a confident eater and understanding like, oh, I feel confident going into meals. I feel confident building something from myself and being like, oh, I know what to do. And I don't feel like I have to listen to a thousand other things in order to get it. But it can be really scary at first and navigating that. Like you said, it's an experiment and sometimes experiments can take a long time. And if you don't have someone helping you kind of create the framework of like, okay, here's the, here's the basics, like here are the building blocks that we need, and then we can play around with it based off of of what your personal body is and what your personal needs are, can feel really overwhelming to people in so many different ways. There's not really a question in there, more of like a, yes, I agree with you. (laughs) Like, I I like that a lot. I
0: do have a question or another comment. So going off this conversation, obviously what we're trying to lead people towards is a non-restrictive approach, right? And I feel like one of the hardest things for people to overcome is before when you were restricting, whether it was intentional or not, right, undernourishing, intentional or not, your body was basically under like artificial weight suppression, right? Because we weren't giving it the materials that it needs every day. So Just a little reminder, and this is something that you had put on your Instagram and I wanted to, you know, have a little bit more of a conversation around this is you said, if you feel like you gain weight whenever you're not obsessively monitoring what you eat and sticking to your exercise plan, it's likely a sign that those rules are not healthy for you and you're trying to keep your body in an environment that it can't maintain.
2: Totally. Yeah. I feel like that's um, either a post that people really respond and like and feel a lot of relief from, or they are not happy with me. <laughs> for that one. So, We're here for the harsh um, truths. We are here for it. <laughs> right. Right. And of course, like without the nuance that social media doesn't let us have, but um, yeah, I think, I think the, the point of it, right. Is that um, I think there's often this narrative of like, every time i stop dieting i gain the weight back right or like i maintain this diet or i maintain this way of eating and my weight you know gets to a place that's like quote unquote more comfortable and then once i stop doing this for this event or for this vacation or whatever it is then the weight comes back and therefore i need another diet and i think sometimes that feels like evidence to someone that like they actually need to really tightly control their eating and that this is like positive feedback from them from this diet of like, this works, this is how I maintain this weight, this is like how I can do it, but I just need to stick with it, right? Because every time I stop, then my weight changes versus I would encourage like on the flip side of that, right? Being like, or is this like only sustainable when you're in this really intense period of restriction and engaging in these behaviors that don't sound like they support you doing them long-term. They don't sound like they this is something that you can maintain long term and not by a product of like you not having enough like quote unquote willpower, but more so by like this potentially not giving you enough nutrition throughout the day or enough flexibility to live your life in the way that that is full and allows you to like have other hobbies other than food and exercise, right? Or um be able to like engage in social plans or um eat enough food. And I think so the yeah, the, the idea is that like if the only way that you can maintain your weight is is through these really extreme behaviors. That's more product of like these behaviors being extreme than your, you know, than your body being not able to quote unquote be controlled. Um, and I think that all comes down to this, to this assumption that we should be in control of our bodies and that we like, if we quote unquote, we're, um, lots of quotes, like work hard enough that we can, you know, mm-hmm. manipulate them or like this idea that diet culture has that like if we eat like someone else, or if we exercise like someone else, or if we stick to these plans that our bodies will sort of morph into the shapes and and appearances of other people, or shapes and appearances that are more socially acceptable, um, or seen as like, better. And that it's just not also how bodies work, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, but, But there's periods of time where that might your body might change because you're not giving it enough fuel or you're manipulating it in these ways, but it's manipulation versus it being something that's supportive of of your health or something that's sustainable for you.
1: I think that's a really interesting point. And it ties really, really well back to that idea of is my health promoting behavior in my life becoming obsessive? And what's that tipping point? If the tipping point is you can't, your body immediately changes the minute you alter or flex on any of those Any of those health promoting behaviors, then it's very, very likely that something is up and it's not actually working for your body and it's too meticulous. And then, because you should be able to, like, your health promoting behaviors should fit into your life and feel casual and feel like a part of it and feel implemented and not feel like something that needs to be tightly, tightly maintained and monitored all the time. Because if you then pull a thread and, like, oh, God forbid you go to a barbecue or something and it's like everything unravel- <laughs> unravels from there. It's, this wasn't actually health promoting behavior. Um, it actually wasn't that great, that na- navigating that balance that we're looking for. That's the tipping point. The tipping point is your body's literally saying, I can't maintain this unless you're doing all of these things in order to get there. And so I think that's such a great point of like bringing it back to that, of saying, you know, that's, that's like a huge sign of like, Talk about red flags. That's a big red flag that your body's like, "Uh uh-uh, this is not where I'm meant to be. Thanks for trying, (laughs) but no, thank you. I need to be in a different place. (laughs) We choose the next option. (laughs) Option B, please. More flexibility and more freedom. Thank you. So, Brenna, we've really appreciated this conversation, and it's so nice to to have you on and talking about this nuance that I feel like social media just does not let us really get into the way that we probably all would really love to, and being able to talk about that, you know, this little gray zone that that we all live in and really help navigate our clients through. So, if you could share with us, you know, some places where people can find you, things that you're doing, any kind of products services anything did you ever develop a food product that we can find in the (laughs) store like I would love to know whatever you have we would be cool of hearing
2: Um, I know I did not develop a food product, but I did make them in high school for like all of our speech classes. I would make like a nutrition bar and it was like N-Y-O-U nutrition, like it was new, you know? So we were, we were like getting little breadcrumbs (laughs) into the future, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, so I, I, I offer one-on-one, um, intuitive eating and body image support virtually. So that's all, and a lot of resources online. Um, on the wellful on Instagram and thewellful.com is my website, working on getting I'm on TikTok as well. Um at the Wellful, I've been recently locked out of my account, which I've now said like twice on podcasts. So I'm like, everyone's going to, I don't know, <laughs> not be able to find me on there, but, um, yes, I'm, I'm offering nutrition services there. And then I'm on Instagram a lot for some like free resources and different events or speaking engagements and that kind of a thing. So yes, I would love if anyone wants to come over and, and see that too. Awesome. Well, thanks again for so much for coming on. Yes. Thank, thank you so much. This is so fun.
0: Hey friends, it's Dana, and thanks for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your family and friends, subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and if you can, we would absolutely love it if you left a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps spread the word so more people can find the show and learn how to break out of diet culture, the body image spiral, and find a more peaceful relationship with food in their bodies with Wholehearted Eating. If you're interested in learning more about how you can work with me or Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling or checking out our self-paced courses, head over to wholeheartedeating.com. And we'll see you again here next week.